0: Welcome to the Lewis Jonker Podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. There are so many voices. Perhaps the voice of a teacher who told you that you would never amount to anything. The voice of a parent who called you a failure. The voice of a partner asking for a divorce. The voice of a friend breaking a promise. The voice of a taskmaster, a boss, a leader or a youth pastor, pushing you beyond your capacity, the voice in your head, do you know the one, the, the inner dialogue, you know the conscience, uh, reminding you of shame, reminding you of all the things that make you feel unworthy of love, there are so many voices, perhaps even for the young ones it's the voice of a friend at primary school saying, you're not invited to my birthday party, that was all, yeah I know. That was always the worst insult you could say to someone when I was in primary school, you're not invited to my birthday party. But amongst all these so many voices, there is only one voice that matters, and that's the voice of God. And my question for you this morning is, what voice are you listening to? I believe this Good Friday story tells us a lot about the voice of God. So I want to explore that premise this morning and unpack the scriptures and and look at some excerpts of this Good Friday story to see what might be said about the voice of God and the way that he might speak to you. But first I want to tell you a story. In 1732, Elizabeth Newton passed away, leaving behind a seven-year-old son, John, the voice of sorrow. And I can't begin to imagine the pain of losing a loved one at such a young age, but I know many in this room, perhaps you do know that pain. Perhaps you can relate. And John was rebellious as he grew. His mum did the best job she possibly could. And his sea captain father could do little to keep him on the straight and narrow. And at 19, he was impressed into the Navy by compulsion, uh, a forced style of recruitment. And in the Navy, of course, the discipline was, was harsh. And at one point, he decided that he would try escape the Navy. He would try abandon ship, something he probably shouldn't do. And upon capture, they whipped him, they beat him, and they put him in his place, stripped and flogged, the voice of failure. And after transferring to another ship, John became involved in the unjust yet lucrative and legal at this point in time slave trade transporting men to and from distant seas for the purpose of slavery. Something that we all would agree today is one of the worst injustices in the world, and I wonder if even back then they knew it. He would often get drunk to the point of regret and mocked faith openly, the voice of shame. On one particular voyage, a violent storm arose. Men were thrown overboard. The ship cracked under the waves and began to take on water. A shipwreck and a wretched soul, the voice of fear. And at his lowest, terrified on this ship, he remembered the God his mother had told him about as a young boy under the age of seven, and he called out to this God. And John survived the storm he turned his life around, he took a stand against slavery and became, and even became a pastor of a church, the voice of grace. In fact, he penned a song about this grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I'm found. The voice of grace. It is amazing how God, how the love of Jesus can turn a life around. I want, to, I want to look, as I said, about the voice of God, and today I'm going to be exploring, be exploring throughout Luke 22 onwards, and I'm going to be looking at this Good Friday story, starting with uh, the, the Last Supper, going into the garden, going into standing before Pilate, and eventually going onto the cross, this Good Friday story that we come to celebrate this morning. And I want to explore specific episodes, so if you're trying to follow along in your Bible, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump around, I'm going to try to give you the references, but I want to look at this from a different perspective, as as. Pope to digging deep into the story as a whole I want to pull out specific moments to speak about this amazing grace and this voice of God during this time a voice that if I was in those shoes a voice I certainly would not have had a voice that you would not have had but a voice that Jesus carries and I'm starting at Luke 22 find my spot this happens all the time to me Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Uh, I think I have a a picture here of Jesus that's sorry that's John Newton (laughs) that was not Jesus I've already Bill's up the back and he knows I've already messed up all my slides I get distracted I'm sorry Bill that was not Jesus that was John Newton that was the guy who wrote Amazing Grace but this is Jesus praying in the garden Father if you're willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done It was just a couple of weeks in the PM service. A couple of weeks ago, Craig was uh, talking about this story and I was quite moved. This moment of Jesus' ministry where he knows what's to come. They had the last supper, they had the meal and he knew what was coming. He knew that he would eventually have to go to the cross uh, for you and for me to take our sin upon himself and die in our place. He knew that was coming and he goes to the garden and he kneels down and he's praying. And even in the moment, just before it's all about to go down, he kneels down and he prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. A medical condition that's actually been heard of, where if you are under immense amounts of stress, you can actually sweat drops of blood, and it sounds gross, and the kids in the room might be thinking, yuck, and, it, and, and it's, it's crazy. And, it's, and, and it's, uh, can you imagine that kind of stress? I've never met anyone who has sweat drops of blood. I mean, I get pretty stressed running the youth ministry, but... <laughs> Thank goodness I've never gone back in the office and sweat drops of blood. But Jesus, in this moment, for you and for me, this voice of grace, he says, not my will but yours be done, God. The voice of grace that go to the deepest, darkest points of stress for you and for me. He rose from prayer and went back to his disciples and he found them asleep because they were exhausted from sorrow, the voice of sorrow. And he says, why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so you will not fall in temptation. And while he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And a man who was called Jesus, one of the 12 leading them, he approached Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus asked, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? I mean, I would have said words to a much different effect. In fact, I may have spoken with my fists. But Jesus has a voice of grace, almost in saying minimal at all. Are you betraying me with a kiss, Judas? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our, should we strike with our swords? Should we fight them? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. The very people that are coming to take Jesus away, the very people that are about to whip him, that are about to mock him, that are about to put him on a cross. His disciples are angry. I might have been angry. I would have been scared. The voice of fear, all these sorts of things. They're getting their swords out. They're striking ears. They want to go to fight. They want to go into battle. But Jesus says, no more of this. Isn't it true in this world we want to like fight all the time? I, I even know in myself I can get so defensive in nature. You know, when someone comes at me and it's like I immediately go in defense, I immediately get my sword out. I want to cut off some ears. Don't know, actually, not that far, but you metaphorically. But Jesus' voice isn't like that. His voice isn't like you and me. No, the very people who are coming to take him, the very people who hate him, the very people who mock him and scorn him, will whip him, will nail him to a cross. He heals them. He reaches out his hand, touches an ear, and heals them. And the voice of grace says, No more of this. No more fighting. No more war, no more swords, no more of this, the voice of grace. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me, but this very hour, darkness reigns grace in the garden another point in john 18:8 8, talking about the same sort of moment i just thought this was interesting when the guards come jesus is with his disciples he's with you know he's with the people that he took with him to the garden and when the guards come jesus in a moment of you know if it was me i'd be like they're asking oh where's this jesus character you know i could just imagine myself standing back and sort of like Probably one of them. <laughs> and in John, in uh, yes, John eighteen, he says it differently. He says, you know, don't worry about them; it's me. I'm the one you're looking for. Let these men go. The voice of grace, grace in the garden. And perhaps you know with this story where this story goes. You know it goes on. You know they take him. Uh, uh, there's a the whole thing with Peter and Jesus, but I'm going to skip that section for now. I'm going to go to verse sixty-three. And it says, the guards, the men who were guarding Jesus, began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. And at daybreak, the council of elders of the people, both chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, Tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, would you not answer? But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Then they said, well, we don't need any more testimony. We have heard it from our own lips. The next passage of Jesus before Pilate is oddly, you know, in your Bible, uh, if if I was to hold it up, if you have a Bible of your own, you know Jesus' words are in red. And this next section of Jesus before Pilate, there's only like, one, two, three, four words in red. You know, he's brought before people who are accusing him. He's brought before people who are, you know, it's like they're going to put you on a cross. And Jesus seemingly, there's no long speech about why Jesus shouldn't go on the cross. There's no long speech about who, how Jesus is powerful. And there's no long speech. There's four words. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so. And seemingly through this time, Jesus goes seemingly silent. Again, I think this message God is trying to convict me of my defensive nature, because I would have said a lot more words than that. I would have said things like, Pilate, who do you think you are? You think You think you're powerful. You think you lead armies. You think you lead Romans. Well, I'm the king of the world. I created this world. You know, I could just imagine myself. Pilate, who do you think you are? Yet Jesus, so graceful, so silent, so undefensive. You say I am, almost accepting the fact that he's about to go to the cross. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd I find no bias for charge against this man, but they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and now he's come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. They, they talk about this place where Herod stayed, and uh, when I went over to Israel, I got to go to the room that they assume in you know where, in this house where Herod would stay. This room where Jesus was assumably kept overnight. Or kept for a time being before he was put on the cross and it's sort of like this hollow cave and I remember going in there and it was almost like you know I try not to over spiritualize things and maybe it was just because I understand the story but as you stand in this room and you know it's just this empty sort of a pit with high walls and it's you can see how hard it would be get out and you can imagine Jesus sitting in this room alone cold still sore from the many lashes abandoned you know his closest followers denied him during this time and just imagine Jesus sitting there in silence sometimes the voice of grace is in the silence I don't know if you know those silent moments you know you don't even really have the words to say to God You know, when you're lying in your bed at night, I know when I was a a youth, perhaps the youth in this room, when you're lying in your bed at night, no words to say, thinking about the way of the world, lost, broken, alone, unsure of what's to come. It's amazing how many times in those moments I've remembered my God, God the Father, remembered the voice of grace, Grace for the guards. I think I have another photo up here of uh, some guards playing dice. The crucifixion of Jesus I'm jumping to, verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on the way from the country. And they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus, because Jesus was assumably tired if you've seen any of the movies. A large number of people followed him, including the women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves. He's broken, he's battered, and he he turns to them, he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Mm. Weep for your children, for the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women and the wombs that never bore and breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, who were also let out with him to be executed. And they all came to the place called the skull and they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus on the cross. This is the story of the gospel, which I might quickly remind you, you know, we all know that we have failings. We all have these voices. We have these voices of shame, voices of regret. I have them. You have them. We have them. These voices that tell us that we 're not worthy. The voices that tell us that we 're bad, the voices that would tell us that we 're evil, and you know what sometimes it 's in good cause because I know for myself, that sometimes I can be bad and I can be evil and I can do things that are wrong. And I know that in myself. I don't need a preacher to stand up and tell me. I know it in myself. And perhaps you know it too. Sometimes when I'm lying in my bed, it's like, God, how could you possibly love me? But it's amazing, this voice of grace. And all these things that I did wrong, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and it seems like a heavy thing. I remember I went to a kids' program, a kids' camp, when I was in primary school. And the camp was all based on this verse, the wages of sin is death. And at the end of the camp, you know, parents were invited. It was like this, it was like this, yeah, this, exactly. Primary school, this is primary school kids. And it was amazing. We got to build gunyas, And this was back in the days when there was no rules. So it's like you're running up and down the creek. There's trees falling over the creek. You're crossing it like a bridge. Kids are falling off left, right and centre. Ambulances, limbs are flying. It's awesome. That was the day. That was the day. That was the day the Lord had made. Oh, my goodness. Still looking for some property with a creek and a tree falling down. I tell you what, that's the best part of camp when the kids hurt themselves. Luckily, this camp, it wasn't a kid. It was Josh Kay. Oh he's not here this morning, but I, we had to take Josh Kay to the hospital. What a leader. You know your leaders are doing a job when they go to the hospital. LAUGHTER those are the days, and I remember this. The whole camp was based around this scripture: "The wages of sin is death." And I'm sure there was some other gospel message tied on, but I don't remember that part. I just remember <laughs> that guy up the front: "The wages of sin is death," and I remember my dad, who's not really my mum's. My mum is definitely, you know, fully Christian. My, you know, but my dad is, you know, my dad. You know, we we have rare conversations about uh, Christianity, but. Uh, amazing, amazing man. But I remember him sitting in the crowd and you know the person's up there going, the wages of sin is death. And I remember him talking to me and my mum afterwards like, geez, that's pretty full on to talk to some primary school kids about. (laughs) And perhaps you're sitting in this room going, it's holidays, the kids are in the room, can you stop saying the wages of sin is death? As full on as that might sound, it's right there in the Bible and it's true. I don't know if you've ever felt like that but i felt like that. The way that I live, the things I do, it's like the wage. oh, this just isn't right. And I feel like, you know, maybe you think you're a good person, good on you. But for me, I know that I gossip. I know that I slander. I know that I lie. I know that I cheat. I know that I steal. Not much, just like pens from the office and that. (laughs) Really? (laughs) but what Jesus did on the cross was he took our penalty he took our punishment He took that. He became death. All our sin bore upon him so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequence. He paid the consequence for us. It's what he's doing on the cross. And while he is saving humanity on the cross, he looks down and people are casting lots. They're playing dice. They're betting on his clothing. They've hammered nails into his his. Wrists in his feet, and he's, uh, and in this very moment, he looks down and guards are casting lots, betting over who's going to take his shirt. It must have been from General Pants or something. And he looks down, and the voice of grace, it doesn't say, oh, Why am I doing this? It isn't begrudging, it isn't condemning, it doesn't look down at them and say, Curse them to hell. He looks down and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. Grace for the guards. They said, Have other, has, "Has he saved others, let him save himself. If he's God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also came up and they mocked, They'd more mocking. They offered him wine, vinegar, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. You know, it was a it was sarcasm. Now, I'm trying to make a joke. Look at this king of the Jews on a cross. One of the criminals who hung there hurled inserts at him, insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him "Don't you fear, God," he said, "since you're under the same sentence we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong." Then Jesus said, then he said to Jesus, "remember me when you come into your kingdom." And Jesus answered him, "Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise." There was grace in the garden. There was grace for the guards. But there's also grace for the gathered, including the thief at his right and his left. I think we have a a, a depiction of the... You know, the thief that asked Jesus, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, Pope Gregory I, and this is just, you know, Catholic. this is sort of um, Catholic tradition. You know, tradition is often passed down, so I'm not saying that this is correct or wrong, but tradition would say that, this, uh, this thief, it says that Pope Gregory I said he was guilty of blood, even the blood of his brother. Assumably the two, the, the, the two thieves or the two, the two uh, uh, prisoners on either side also getting, uh, assumably these were not good people. Tradition would say that this good thief, this, this thief that returned and, rep- and met Jesus on the cross, it says that tradition would say that he would hide in the wilderness and, and murder and kill and steal from anyone who was unlucky enough to go past his way. This is not particularly a good person. Or perhaps they stole a loaf of bread. We don't really know, but uh, assumably they were not good people and these two people you know you know one of them's really angry I I know there's a lot of people in the world that can be like that thief they're like ah you know fed up with life angry you know that voice there's lots of those voices oh I get so sick of those voices the the sneering jeering gossipy but then I remember I've definitely been those voices and then you have the thief over this side don't you know what you're doing Since you're under the same tenors, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me on my paradise. This is a thief, possibly a murderer, possibly things even worse, possibly just rebelling against the Romans, hanging on a cross. And he says, I deserve this that he doesn't deserve this. And he turns to this Jesus and said, Jesus, remember you when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus responds, the voice of grace. Truly, I tell you, you will be in paradise with me. I ask you, have you experienced this grace? Because you can. I've experienced this grace. Living in my sin, living in my squalor, living in my... And looking over to Jesus, you know, maybe I heard it in a kids' church event. Maybe I heard it in a. In fact, I wrote this when I was nine years old. I wrote a story when I was nine years old. I wasn't going to read this, but oh wow, I opened to the right page. It must be. I wrote this when I was nine years old. I don't remember reading this story, but I remember I took it to my school teacher, and my school teacher started crying, and she said, "Oh, you need to go read this to the principal." <laughs> I don't remember writing this story. Nine years old, year four. I'm sitting on a chair staring around me, staring at the pastor. I hear someone calling my name. Lulu, my mum was calling me. What are you doing? I'm at church not wanting to be. I don't believe in God anyway. I can hear the pastor yapping on about giving gifts. I am bored, I tell mum. I try telling myself that sometimes things, cool things can happen at church, but I'm still bored. I ask mum, can we go home? But she says no. I'm getting mad. I want to go home, but I'm not allowed to. So here I am stuck at church. I am mad and bored wanting to go home. In fact, I am extremely mad. I asked mum again, can we go home? No, she screamed. I can see she is distressed, not wanting to yell it out. But I say, but I don't believe in God. Now I am embarrassed. Mum yelled at me. <laughs> Soon I decide to listen to the reading for once. You know, Lutheran churches have Bible readings. Soon I decided to listen to the reading for once. I stopped, I felt shivers going down my back. I feel scared, I told mum, I have sinned too much. The words cross, blood and nails were running through my head. I told these words to mum on the way home. At home I thought about what the pastor said about giving gifts and I finally had an idea. I want to give a gift and I can give it to a friend. I got up early the next morning and I went to buy a gift, I picked a toy car, I went home and prayed, I'm sorry for sinning but now I believe in you, amen. I felt sorry for myself. I searched my brain and thought of a friend. I choose Tom, my best friend. I have no idea who that is. I've never met a Tom in my life. So I, I said to myself, I gave the gift to Tom. He said thank you. I thought to myself, that was the first time I've ever heard someone say that. Nine years old. Somehow at nine years old, you might think these kids are in here just running around not hearing anything. They can hear it. And I wonder... If this young nine-year-old Lewis started to get a concept of the blood, the cross and the nails, saw the Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I wonder if Jesus looks at a nine-year-old Lewis and says, yeah, you'll be with me in paradise. I wonder if you've experienced this, Grace, because you can. I'd love to end with a poem and I might get Josh up. Grace in the garden, grace for the guards, grace for the gathered, and grace for you and me. But I want to read a poem called The Voice of God. The voice of God. Is it high or low? Fast or slow? From above or from below? Is it in the fire or the hurricane's blow? The glistening heat wave or the glistening snow? See, this voice is a noise that many have sought. Is it real or just subconscious thought? Is it caught or is it taught? Some spend their entire life searching to come up with naught. And does God choose to be silent? Or have we just become more defiant? See, some say this voice of salvation can be found through meditation by curling up beside your bed and waiting. And some say it is a Morgan Freeman voiceover, smooth and deep. Or maybe precise, short and sweet, clean and neat, a masterpiece. Some say it is like running waters. Some say this voice comes through Kanye lyrics, Some say you must be silent to hear it. So tell me, do you hear it? Some would rather not because they fear it. Or maybe you have to rub Buddha's belly three times or rub a lamp to find a genie who might give you what you want. Maybe the voice was here, but now it's gone. Is this voice cosmic or is it found in your closet? Maybe you once heard it, but now you've lost it. Maybe it's found facing a certain direction, like, you know, tuning an antenna reception. Is this voice angry or just constructive correction? Perhaps we're our own gods and it's found in our reflection, but on further inspection, whatever this voice is, it must be easy to miss. But I think the voice of God might sound something like this.